0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Canon Stephen Gauthier and is part 11 of Revealing the Heart of God, A Journey Through the Minor Prophets. If you're 21 or older, I'm pretty confident you've had this experience, either directly or indirectly, with someone someone you love. There are a man and a woman who love each other. They're in a relationship. But the relationship seems stuck or even going in reverse. And both parties want the relationship to work, but something has got to change. This leads to what this generation would refer to as a DTR, a Define the Relationship Encounter, a DTR, Define the Relationship. Well, that summarizes the book of Malachi. It's the Bible's DTR. And what we have here is the very first verse that we read today. God says, I've loved you. But Israel replies, the question is whether God is really committed. How have you loved us? And then God insists that the problem isn't him. He says, first of all, I chose you. That's why you're the chosen people. I started this relationship, and I'm the one who's kept this going. I'm not the problem. You're the one who's holding back. So he's saying there, it's their actions that have raised real questions about their commitment. So the Bible is always about good news. So the good news we have in Malachi is in this DTR is that the relationship is by no means over. And actually that the relationship can go to places that's never gone before. So it's a really real word of hope. And in fact, the same is true of each of us here today. No matter where our relationship, maybe our relationship is stuck or going backwards. No matter where we are, the fact is the relationship is not over and there's every reason to believe it can be much greater than we'd ever hoped. That's the message that we have. And the book of Malachi actually points the way to how we can move forward. So that's going to be our main question here. If we feel our relationship, has been stalled or going backwards, or just needs to move forward, it's going to point out ways that that can happen for us. Now, this is the last in our series on the minor prophets. So let's begin with a little background to the book of Malachi. In the Christian ordering of the Bible, we use a more chronological order than the, the Hebrew ordering of the Bible. It's the very last book of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. It's and it's a perfect. It's really the hinge between. Uh, God speaking with Israel, and now that also that, that extending to the whole world. It's the great hinge moment of the Bible in the book of Malachi. It's about four centuries before Jesus is born. Now, it's at a very important moment because Amos had made a prophecy that's about to start. He said, there's, you know, you talk about famines. He said, I'm telling you that there's going to be a famine of the Word of God a famine of the Word of God. And that's what starts after Malachi. He is the last. According to both Hebrew and Christian tradition, he's the last of the prophets, you know, of the Hebrew scriptures. It will be for, and we don't, look at those great prophets. The Word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The Word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The next time we will hear that, the Word of the Lord came to is going to be John the Baptist over 400 years later, a 400-year drought, a 400-year silence in heaven. Now, that's why this might surprise you. In Luke's gospel, he makes what might seem to us such a big deal about the arrival of John the Baptist. It might shock us. Let me read these three verses from, from Luke's gospel. This is about John the Baptist, not Jesus. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Etruria and Trachonitis. And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So why all this build up? 400 years, it's back. We were told it would be a long time, and the next prophet would be right before the Messiah. That means, wow, after 400 years, the heavens have opened. God has spoken again, and we know this is definitive. We're going into the messianic era. This is a big moment. Okay, now, this is, uh, if you look in the bulletin on on that page, we have an icon there, and there's a reason that icon. That's an icon called the Deasis. It's in every Eastern Orthodox church. Our brothers and sisters in the Orthodox churches, any church you go to, they'll be right in the middle, in front it's John the Baptist on one side and Mary, the mother of Jesus, on the other. Why? I would call it sort of like the holy handoff. It's saying something's really happening here. Is until this time, God speaks through the prophets. The Word of God comes through the prophets. Now the Word of God becomes incarnate, that's why we have Mary, in person. Jesus is where those two meet. The Word of God has come through the prophets all the way through John, now we will actually meet the Word of God made man, the Word of God in person, the great meeting where the two Testaments meet, and that's what that uh, that so you see it everywhere. If you look up D-E-E, uh, I-S-I-S, double uh, D-E brother S I S, if you look that like on Google or something, you'll see dozens and dozens of examples because every single Orthodox church has one. Okay, now one more thing: the situation of Israel at the time of Malachi. Why is this happening? Why are we having this moment leading to our define the relationship encounter? Well, remember, we've had a lot of excitement as we've gone through this series with Ezra and Nehemiah. The temple has been rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem come up. People expected this means the Messianic times have now begun. This is going to be really, really radically different. But it wasn't. It was very prosaic. This is not what people were expecting. And this is what is leading to the whining and disappointment you know, that leads to this. I've loved you. How have you loved us? You know? uh, that's where we're getting to this moment. Now, the church has held the book of Malachi in special honor because, again, it's you know some TV series when you end one, one season and you have that last episode gives you all the things of saying why you absolutely have to see the next season. That's what happens. He says there are three things. He gives us the three great promises of this hinge, this hinge bone between the old and the new. What are the three promises? The first promise, he says, is, and we have that in what we read today, is God will send the prophet Elijah to prepare the way. It says, you know, Elijah, the very last verse in this book, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And Jesus tells us a lot, John the Baptist was the ministry of Elijah. He says that in his own words. He says, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. The second promise is this. You know, we have the temple, you know, where the, God causes his name to dwell. That means his power. However, what about God himself in person coming into that temple? So the second promise is God himself in person will come into that temple. We read that as well. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's fulfilled with Jesus in his lifetime. God himself in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully man, enters the temple. And finally, he says it's more than just the the purity of sacrifice in the temple of Jerusalem. He says the whole world will offer a pure offering to me. Every, all the nations, not just Israel. This is what Israel was chosen for, to be a blessing to all the nations. All the world will join in this. This is one of the most quoted verses in the church fathers. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations. Okay, well, we said what brought on this DTR, our define the relationship moment, was a lack of commitment on the part of the children of Israel. So what basically it comes down to is they were holding back. You know, relationships are about leaning in or holding back, aren't they? You know, we can lean into a relationship or we can pull back or hold back. They were holding back, and the book of Malachi has six uh, back-and-fours about here's how you're holding back. Well, since you wonder about who loves whom, God tells us, well, let's talk about ways that I don't think you're all in. The first one, he talks about, I would call, a minimalism in worship, a sort of casualness. Basically, what's the least I have to do? And so in the temple, they were actually using defective animals, you know, things that wouldn't get as much price on the market, you know, like a blind lamb or something. Probably the thing was, look, it is a lamb, never mind the law said differently, and we're going to burn it anyway. <laughs> so there's this sort of minimalism, you know, what, what's, the, what's the least we can get by with in worship, that kind of minimalist attitude towards, what's the least I need to get by? Um, a second thing we have is they were bending the harder truths of Scripture. You know, sometimes, you know, Scripture, re- authentic Scripture is like a shoe. Sometimes it pinches. And when it pinched, they simply would walk away from it or when it became embarrassing. The idea of being too hard or too embarrassing, okay? Here's a classic case. First of all, let me read the indictment. God says to them, "'For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction.'" In the New Testament Jesus gives us an example of how this works. You know the commandment, honor your father and your mother? We tend to think of that as be really nice and respectful. Well that's a good start, but it's actually much more concrete as well. It meant that when your parents were in need you had to take care of them. I mean money. I mean that you actually had to help needy parents out. That's what the commandment meant. And the New Testament people were finding elderly parents to be a real burden. So they'd come up, I'm a CPA, so I'm familiar with trusts and these kind of things, how we can shelter money from taxes. Far be it for me to think of such things. But anyway, you get the idea. Okay, sheltering money. And so what they came up with is something called Korban. They talk about it in Mark Mark chapter 7. Is they would set up a special trust. You see, you were responsible if you had money to help pay for your parents' support if they were in need. They would set up a special trust that was dedicated to God. And so they could say, well, I'd love to help you, Mom and Dad, but that money is dedicated to God. I don't have, I've got nothing. (laughs) Uh, Jesus wasn't persuaded. Okay, but it's that kind of working around from embarrassment or because it became hard. The next thing they did is a lot of people said, look, religion is one thing, but my personal life is another. Leave that alone. That's meddling. So he says, look at what you're doing. He says, "Uh, you're marrying pagan wives. And the problem here Uh, This wasn't about racism or anything, it was was about religion. Basically, the point was saying, you're people who worship idols, and their children will too if you marry them. You know, you're going to compromise the faith. And basically saying, oh, you know, this is our personal life. Or another thing about casual divorce, the words here are very, very specifically about people who simply decided, I think I can do better. You know, a, a casual divorce, and he said, he says, I'm a witness to it. At marriage, you took an oath before me, and you're just putting that aside. And their basic action was, that's our personal, life, marriage, or family, that's personal life. You can have the religious stuff, sacrifices. My personal life is, that's what they call personal. That was the attitude that was being taken. The next thing we have is they pay, failed to pay the tithe in full. Now, the tithe means if we have less, then we pay less, right? You know, but their point was, when we read at Malachi, that they were having some particular hard times and saying, look, We'll give you money when we have some. When we have money to spare, we'll come and give it to you. So they basically didn't trust God to come through for them. It's basically a vote of no confidence in God. You know, I'm not going to, look, this is not going to work out. I, you know, we'll just have to wait till I have money so we can start giving again. And finally, they, he, they complained, I like this, it's like, you know, in kids you say, mom loves you more. They were starting to look around at other nations and say, you know, we're the chosen people, but those guys seem to be doing better off than we are, you know, sort of whining about this, looking sideways and whining, okay, or murmuring is a more biblical term. I like whining, though. Okay, so how can this indictment of Israel help us in our own relationship with God? Well, Jesus has a wonderful saying. He says, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You know the reason our relationship with God might be stuck or moving backwards is basically if if we're hold, we have to lean in for a relationship to grow. If we hold back, it can't. And we all know this from regular life, don't we? Not one of us. I mean, in regular life, we know this. We know, for example, that people have a passion for something. Something. The difference between a hobby. And a passion can be, once people get into something, the more they get into it, the love comes from that. Passion comes after investment. I want you to remember that. Investment always comes first. It's when we invest that the passion comes. A lot of us are waiting around for the passion to come, then we'll invest. Investment comes first. Think about some of our relationships, some of our closest friends. Originally, there were just other acquaintances at work, at school, right? But we invested. By investing, doing more than, hey, good morning, by investing, suddenly what was simply an acquaintanceship becomes a friendship. It's always that way. Actually, there's a French proverb, I will spare you the French, that says, you know, hunger, uh, rather it says, eating makes you hungry. This is the theory of appetizers, is the idea that you don't think you're hungry and you start munching, and suddenly, well, I am hungry. And it's sort of like that impersonal relationship. You know, in relationship, basically, it's by investing that the passion comes. And our big mistake is saying, I'll wait for the passion, then I'll invest. It doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. Now, are we holding back or leaning into our relationship with God? Why do we look at those examples from the book of Malachi and apply them to our own situation? Are these the things that might be holding us back? First of all, am I into minimalism? Am I focusing on the minimum rather than the maximum? Here's a classic example with worship. It's understandable is, you know why we talk about, like on a sign on a church, it often says services. You know, services, 8 o'clock or 8.30, like here. It says services. Because it comes from the term divine service. We're here to offer worship to God. And I like it. The Greek word is where we get liturgy is, is the Greek word, meaning the people's work. So when we come to worship, we're not coming to be entertained. We're actually coming to work, to do God's work. We're coming here, you know, we're coming to work, like come in the morning to check in. We're coming to work. And sometimes we might have the minimalist attitude, look, I showed up at church, you know, I'm here. What more can you ask? You know, I, I, that kind of minimalism chokes off all life. You know what minimalism is like? Sometimes people say I talk fast. I don't think that's true. Okay, what minimalism is like, <laughs> unpleasant truths, okay, is it's like my wife does a lot of gardening and things, and she, she loves plants. If you put a plant in a pot that too, is too small for it, you, you, cr- you know, the roots are cramped, the plant can't grow. And that's what minimalism is like. Ironically, when we're minimal, what's the least to get by? There's no room for our spiritual life to grow. It really cramps our spiritual life. That's sort of the image I'd like to leave with you there. The next uh, way we have... For some of us, we say we come here to work. I'm afraid for some of us, some Sundays, maybe we're coming here for a spiritual coffee break instead of spiritual work, right? Again, so we have to remember, we're coming here to actually, we're, we're all equally. This is the priesthood of all believers. We are all equally bringing praise and glory and worship to God, all of us, every last person in here. It's not something some people do and other people watch. Okay, the next thing is, same thing is true of life and community, Life in community means actually looking. When we love people, we look for needs, and then we try to meet those needs. You know, we don't have to be, we look. We might be satisfied, look, I listen to people when they say they have something, and I show empathy. Oh, good start. <laughs> but like James saying, you know, what does it do to say, be well, be filled? You know, that we, it's more, we, we need to be engaged. You know, if we're engaged and actually looking, how can I help? The first question, how can I help? Not just, yeah, I feel your pain. I imagine you do. Okay. Now, another thing, the second thing is, you know, the challenge is when things get rough, you know, some of the reason they're holding back is when God's law really can put demands on us. All real love does. You know, every real relationship requires hard things, going through hard things. And also it can be embarrassing. It can cause us moments of embarrassing. Are we going to be loyal or not? Let's talk first about hard things. Is... I have a good buddy, I, you know, we, uh, we've known each other, a work buddy and a colleague, but more than that. Personally, he flew in for my ordination, unexpected. I just saw him out in the, from the east coast. I just saw him out, of the, you know, out in the congregation. Was, he's a great guy, Dave. And Dave and I worked in business together in different all our lives. And we'll periodically call, ask favors. And he called me one day and asked a favor. And we just joke around with each other. But he said, Stephen, he said, I need, I need help. I need a favor. So I said, Dave, for you anything, well, as long as it isn't hard and doesn't cost anything. But, you know, <laughs> but sometimes, isn't that what we say about God's command, demands on our lives? You know, oh anything for God unless we're talking about something really, really hard or something that really, you know, take an investment of our time or resources. You know, we were putting boundaries on this. So we have to ask ourselves. As a priest, I sometimes have people, you know, it seems to me they tell me why this would be difficult. I understand as though that gives you a pass. So you understand, I know this is clearly what the scriptures say we need to do, but it would be really hard. Yeah, God will give us the grace, but you know, we think that that really means, that's a reason that, you know, clearly God couldn't ask us for something really hard. Well, any relationship, marriage, friendship, requires doing some really hard things at moments. That goes with the turf. Another thing is about being embarrassed, you know, that could be embarrassing. In the 21st century, as as the world de-christianizes, you know, here in the United States, you know, people are becoming hostile. You know, we can be put on the spot in very uncomfortable positions. I'll tell you, for me, I was once at a business dinner, a complete, believe me, completely, a CPA, a completely secular business, and somebody was telling a story, and this was just incidental. They were saying that they had dropped their kids off at the catechism class at their church on the way to a thing, and immediately they saw scowls of, oh, gee, are they one of those? And so she immediately needed to jump in to clarify she wasn't one of them. And to say, well, oh, you know, I think, you know, church is important, you know, for kids need to learn those Bible stories so they understand literature and things like that, and, you know, there's some good morals they can get. But clearly I'm not one of those, those people. Of course, she decided to drag me in and uh, said, Stephen, would you say that's pretty, that's pretty fair? And I said, actually, I'm a believer. That was not the right answer at that table, by the way. Okay, but it's, it's, it's an awkward situation. But, you know, it's, it would be tempting to say, well, that, that's true as far as it goes. You know, just leave. No, we need to, to stand up. Not aggressive. We need to stand up. But something else that can happen to us that really is uh, something that I really am saddened by, a disloyal. we can be disloyal to other Christians. You know, I love all things Jewish. I'm passionate about Judaica. And so one thing that really interests me in the 20th century was the story of Jews in Germany during the thirties, before the war, before the, the Holocaust, when we started the, German, the persecution and things, and something that happened to the Jewish community in Germany is typical. I found out reading of other communities under siege. Is what happened? There's this horrible propaganda the Nazis would put out, and a lot of German Jews began saying things like this. Well, yeah, that's so true of those Polish Jews. They're dirty and they're backward. They're ignorant. But that's not, we're Germans. Yes, yeah, it's just you know that's we're not like them. Huh? That's disloyal. That doesn't sound like Moses who when he saw, you know, was in Pharaoh's household when he saw a child of Israel being beaten. But folks, let's look into our hearts. How often have we heard these things? I've heard Christians say, well, oh, that's those, those fundamentalists, those snake handlers. You know, we're not like that. Now, every family has an idiot uncle. Okay, so we all have people, but they're still family. You know, basically, we're t- we have to figure out which side we're on, you know, about loyalty to other Christians. We point out, I, I know if anyone who claims Jesus is Lord, that's my brother, that's my sister. I don't care what, you know, I'm not going to leave them hanging, so I'm really with you. It's that kind of, uh, kind of thing that we're, that's a real, that's a form of dishonoring God. Remember, Jesus said, what you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. You, we can deny Jesus not just by denying him in name, but by denying his people, our brothers and sisters. Another thing is, do I have enough um, trust in God to be generous with the gifts He's given me? I think the way to look at this is like travel. I was a road warrior for over 30 years. I've done a lot of travel. I mean like two or three times a month, you know, for 30 years do the math. And one thing about being a business traveler though is this, a lot of stuff happens. It can be a real hassle. But what you know is financially speaking, you don't care because if you have to spend another night, more meals or something, it's all covered, right? You know, but it's Part is travel expenses. I mean, it's a hassle, but it's not a financial problem. You know, you're good for it, the company pays. Now I recently, I had something about a few years ago, remember when uh, the, there was particularly those tremendous missile attacks in Israel? I was with my son in Israel visiting at the time, but this was personal. I was just taking a vacation with my oldest son before uh, he was about to get married, so I was taking a vacation with him, you know, the last father and son vacation. And, It looked like the airport, there's only one, you know, the the Tel Aviv airport, regular commercial traffic out of Israel. It looked, because of the shelling, like it was going to be closed. And suddenly, boy, I've been through a lot. And we were worried about physical danger, you know, with the shield and things, nothing was happening. But what we were worried about is saying, oh, boy, if we're stuck for another week or something, this is all on our bill, our tab. We're going to have to pay for a hotel, pay for this. This isn't in the budget. Do you see that difference of feeling from, I'm okay, it'll take care of it, as to, whoa, this could really be bad news. We can't really be generous unless we become, spiritually speaking, business travelers. We realize God will cover us. Otherwise, we can never be loving. Loving is about giving, and we can't give if we don't think God has our back covered. You know, really, there's no other way. So, last thing is focusing, uh, you know, Israel was comparing, what about all those other people? This is a huge spiritual mistake. You know, if you compare yourself to others, two terrible things will happen, two opposite vices. We will become vain and jealous, both. Why? Because there will always be people who will be richer or less rich, more intelligent, less in- fill in the blank for anything. Well, in my case, I'm still looking for the less tall. But in any event, but normally, they're on both sides. And so we're always going to be both jealous and vain. So the critical thing here is, with relation is we always need to focus on it's between me and God. I never look. If we look sideways, we have the spiritual equivalent of one of those circus mirrors, a funhouse mirror, you know, where people look fat and skinny and things. The only way to really understand our relationship is never look sideways. To look straight, straight at God. Then we understand. It's only bad when we look sideways. So, our conclusion then. We said I'm sure many of us today, if we're honest, say. I think my relationship with God is stuck. Maybe it's really gone a little backwards or I feel discouraged or disappointed. I would suggest to you that maybe the message from Malachi to all of us is maybe it's a good time for our own to define the relationship moment. And the good news is God's all in. The cross is a reminder of that. God is not the issue. He's all in. He loves us. He's committed to us. That's not the issue. If our relationship isn't working, I'm the issue. So the question here, if that's true, what can I do about that? How do I break that? If we're experiencing that breakdown, is we have to ask myself, am I really leaning in or holding back? And I want to leave you with an analogy that really works for me. You know, in, the, in baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is compared—it's—it's—it's its, its wind. It's you know—it's—it's—it's its, its wind. It's the uh, uh, you know a spirit, etc. So think of that wind analogy think of one of those great balloons. I once was in in Santa Fe when they had that helium, the balloon festival, and it's amazing. You know, you see dozens and dozens of these filling the sky. They're amazing things. But we're like one of those balloons. The Holy Spirit is God within us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We naturally rise. You know, with the Holy Spirit, we naturally, we're saying we're being transformed from glory to God. That's our natural way. So if that's not happening, what it means is we have, what's keeping those balloons from rising is they're still tied down. There are still cables and things, ropes and cables holding them to the ground. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, if I feel that my relationship is stuck, let's be honest, the balloon works fine. What are the ropes and cables I have that are holding God down from doing that, from letting that balloon float upwards? You know what, are they attitudes, are they sins, you know, are they situations that we allow us to hold us down from doing what we do naturally? Rise to God. So uh, the good news here is that Jesus is here this morning, as he always is, to cut those ropes. You know, by just simply asking, he can take the t- the, those ropes and cables and release them. And the beautiful thing we come to the table, we talk about, you know, this is about Christ, this is our reminder, you know, our representation of Christ's sacrifice. Christ was truly all in. That's what the cross means. He held nothing back. We're always invited we come to the table to join him in that self-offering, you know, to put ourselves all in. So again, Christ is here. We can call on his grace to cut those last cables by by coming here and just putting ourselves before God and saying, I don't know of the past, but I'm all in. Let's let's pray to God for the grace uh, to, to call upon him for his aid. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation.